Hello and God bless you. This is Pastor Jeremy, and what a delight to be with you all on this Thursday, January the 14th of 2021. As always, it is a pleasure to come to you along with my brothers, Brother Marty and Brother Fernando. It is a joy for us always to come to you and study the Word of God together. As we get ready, we want to give ample time for the study of the Word today. And we're going to leave it to Brother Marty to share what God has placed in your heart as we study the Word of God together. Amen. Welcome back, everybody. We're looking forward to today's study as we begin uh, another exploration of Exodus from where we left off yesterday. I'm going to ask Brother Jeremy if he'd begin our study today. If you have your Bibles, those of you that are listening, we also welcome all the new listeners that have been writing and telling us and and uh, writing to us about uh, your discovery of these podcasts. We pray that you will continue with us on this journey as we are living in the most prophetic of times. And uh, we're seeking the Lord over his guidance. As King David said, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And that is what we are endeavoring to do, to hear from the Spirit of God and to know how to govern ourselves in these most prophetic and momentous times. And so I'm going to ask Brother Jeremy and those of you who have your Bibles to open them, please, to the book of Exodus, chapter 3. We're going to read one verse today as we begin in Jesus' name. Brother Jeremy. Yes, this is the first verse. The fifth verse, chapter 3. Fifth verse. Okay. And he said, Draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes. From off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Put off your shoes from your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. What God was revealing to Moses there, after we explored the, the last two days, we encourage you to go back and look at and listen to those podcasts. Moses has been progressively being brought closer to God, but once he reached a particular point, the Lord prevented him from coming any closer until he would remove, remove his shoes. And the Lord declared that the ground that he was standing on was holy ground. Unbeknownst to Moses until revealed by God, the ground he was standing on was holy ground. And in many ways, that is what we are looking at today. We are entering into that place, the place of holy ground, the place where things are revealed, the place where things are unfolded, the place where prophecy is fulfilled. And that's what Moses was about to have happen. A revelation of the time, a revelation of what he was called to do, a revelation of his people, and ultimately a revelation of God coming to Mount Sinai, coming down to rescue his people. And that is what we're going to look at as we go forward. You're going to hear some things today that will help, <clears throat> I hope, bring further understanding to the time that we're living in, and also bring us a deeper understanding about how God speaks, how God reveals things to us. You know, it's been said by the elders before us that it is darkest before the dawn. And really, such is the account of the Exodus. It's really a foreshadow of our time. There's two Exoduses, the, the Exodus of natural Israel in the beginning, but also the Exodus of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ 
in our time, we believe, we're fast approaching that exodus where our heavenly Moses, the prophet like unto Moses, Moses described our Lord, he will return and, and remove us from this ungodly antichrist world. But so the Exodus really is that account of the foreshadow of our time. And as we discussed, we've seen in, in many respects in the modern day preachers, even if they actually open the Bible, the current crop of compromised national preachers and their, I like to call them submissive Padawans, <laughs> have under their watch led the church in America to, <laughs> to a place of, of really of managed decline. And, and and just as was seen in the first Exodus, and you know when we when you begin looking at it in chapter one, there was a godly generation that had passed away. A new king and his taskmasters uh, had arisen, and they did not know Joseph. And in many respects, the same thing is happening now. They do not know the Lord Jesus Christ. You know the blame for this really goes back many many years. In many respects, it was the strange doctrines that emerged in the early 20th century, which made its way across the ocean and primarily driven uh, by a man by the name of Cyrus Schofield and his Bible uh, published in 1909. He was a student of a man known as John Nelson Darby of the Plymouth Brethren of England. But their doctrine it really sowed the seeds of, of the slumber that we now witness in the American church and really the world, the church world. It was influenced over the years by countless missionaries, primarily charismatic and Pentecostal missionaries that, that spread a doctrine of no tribulation, no persecution, and no trial, really, uh, into the churches. And what this has resulted in over many, many years now is the slumber that we're actually seeing across the landscape of the church. You know, this pseudo-theology served over many decades to prove or produce, I should say, like we said, a church that's asleep, a church that is woefully unprepared for what has already begun, what's already happening right now before our eyes. In many senses, whether you can receive it or not, a, sec a second exodus is beginning, the second exodus. And what precedes it is what we're headed into, what the prophets, the holy apostles, the Lord himself told us would happen. From Genesis to the book of Revelation, all these things are coming down to what the angel told Daniel would be the end of time. We believe that the scriptures are revealing to us that we have actually entered those times. And so we've been looking at the Exodus, and God has been leading us here to reflect on those things because those are the same things that we need to pay attention to in order to understand how we are, not only to understand the times, but how do we walk in those times. And we're going to look a little deeper today. You know, the call of Moses, as we left off yesterday, uh, drew him close to the presence of the Lord, to that holy ground. And the call of Moses and the removing of his shoes, that's where we were talking at, at the end of yesterday's podcast. Now, it's something that needs to be understood, in my opinion, really, and I think by the Spirit of God we'll see that at more and deeper levels. Now, in our time, 
it is the symbolism, really, the removing of the shoes, like we talked about yesterday. It's the symbolism of full surrender to God, full surrender to the holy ground of prophetic times, prophetic fulfillment. That's what God was revealing to Moses. The scripture has multiple layers of depth. And one of the things we glean from the removing of the shoes is that prophetic times are just that, holy ground. We're going to take a look at that today. In many ways, we'll see some different examples. But again, in Exodus chapter 3, verse 5, could you read that again to us, Brother Jeremy? And he said, draw not nigh hither. Put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. See, what, what we have revealed here and, and what is seen in this event, it, it's the foreshadowing of the future deliverance of the church. See, it was Israel then, but the second exodus, as we're calling it, uh, is the church now, made up of both Jew and Gentile. But we also see this symbolism in, in several events of the scripture that involve that principle that we've taught over the last several months, the beginning from the end, right? I mean, Isaiah said, what you see in the beginning will also be in the end. From ancient times, the Lord has discussed or declared the things that are not yet done. So applying that prophetic lens, as we're you know commanded to do in Revelation chapter 19, verse 10, which we quote often, that the testimony of Jesus all that concerns him and the Lord himself is the spirit of prophecy. So we believe we have entered these times. You know, Moses' exodus, um, as we're looking at it in, in Exodus 3.5, it, it's a revelation of many things, which we'll get into. But one of the things that we've been discussing is the transition of power that took place. How the scripture tells us in Exodus chapter 1 that the passing of the of a generation would give way to a paradigm shift, if you will, in the experience of the people of God. Brother Jeremy, could you read that to us again uh, in, in Exodus chapter 1, um, verse 6 and 7? Amen. And 8, 6 through 8. And 8. Amen. And Joseph died, and all his brethren, and all that generation, and the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly and multiplied and waxed exceeding mighty. And the land was filled with them. Now there arose up a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. So as we've been discussing, again, the end from the beginning prophetic principle, right? What we should be looking for with that revealed key in scripture the spirit of prophecy the testimony of jesus are the same parallels in our time uh that they saw in their time that there would come a time in the future paralleling much of what happened to the children of israel for the church what we see here identified to us is that in the exodus account joseph who's a type of the lord jesus christ uh you know his 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 whole generation if you will and his brothers, that all that generation, it says, they passed away. And 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 what ends up happening is that we find the children of Israel in a position of being fruitful, increased abundantly, multiplied, 
and the land Egypt is filled with them. That is much, uh, you know, that is really a, a story of how the church in, in our time has, has flourished. You know, the passing of the Holy Apostles gave way to 2,000 years of the expansion of Christianity throughout the West, and ultimately by missionaries from England and the United States, filling the world uh, with the gospel. And, and indeed, uh, the spiritual Israel, which is made up of Jew and Gentile, we call it the Church of the Lord Jesus Christ, and indeed what it is, has filled and multiplied and increased abundantly around the earth. But just very much as in Joseph's time, uh, in, in the children of Israel's time, when his brethren and all that generation passed away, there seems to be a hint here given to us what to look for. When it reaches a particular point in time, there is an identification of what the Bible calls here in verse 8, a new king rising up in Egypt. And as we've taught in the past two podcasts, that really represents the spirit of Antichrist. He was a preparatory king, if you will, a preparatory movement enacting policies and so forth and so on that would ultimately bring the church of that time up under incredible uh, burden and, and persecution, really. And so what we need to begin to look for are these identifying marks for our time. And this is what we see here. A preparation will take place, which is, <laughs> which really we've already entered into and are now uh, just on the, on the other ends of it, if you will, uh, where the stage is, is, is being cleared, if you will, for that, that Pharaoh of our time, that Pharaoh that will encounter the Lord. We know him as the son of perdition, that wicked one. Just as Moses came to deliver the children of Israel under the command of God, so the Lord Jesus Christ will return to deliver his people. But what we're looking at and what we're searching for is timing, understanding of those times. And how we do that is by focusing on what the scripture reveals about itself and the principles by which we must interpret it, especially coming into our times. Daniel spoke of that in his writings saying that at the end time, much, at, uh, much of what had been sealed or not understood would be opened and made plain to see for, for who he called the wise. Now, this is what we see happening here. And what ends up happening in verse 10 is this spirit, this transition of power uh, gives way to focusing on, on a particular group of people in Egypt, a type of the world, the children of God. And they begin to enact laws and create situations that makes their previously blessed life fall under incredible, what we like to call nowadays draconian measures, where they are they become a persecuted group. What they were afraid of was verse 10. We talked about this yesterday. Can you read verse 10, Brother Jeremy, in chapter 1? Come on, let us deal wisely with them, lest they multiply and it come to pass that when there falleth out any war, they join also unto our enemies and fight against us and so get them up out of the land. This stated uh, you know, policy shift, if you will, uh, was something that was enacted over several years. But it was a trigger point. When one generation died, another generation would rise a generation that doesn't know the Lord, that is in its political leadership, in its rulership. And so then the focus immediately turns 
uh, to identify what they considered to be enemies of the state, the church of that time, much as they're doing now. One of the things that they were worried about is what he said at the end there, that they'll join uh, with our enemies, our political and military enemies, and that they will uh, leave the land and spread out into the other parts of, of the world. Well, see, that is, that is precisely what is taking place right now, if you have eyes to see. What they are really attempting to do in our time is to shut down um, the, the hitherto known freedoms and blessings, which is primarily uh, driven by, by Christian theology, which gave birth to the greatest expansion of freedom and liberty across the West, culminating here on the shores of the United States of America, beginning really in 1776, right, with the Revolutionary War, culminating with, with a new nation that was born and, and freedom spreading uh, for the last uh, few centuries, really. But then we came out of, uh, you know, the unfolding aspect of our history as a nation, the nation that really sent forth multiple missionaries throughout the world into a situation of World War II, what we call the greatest generation. And it's that generation that we have seen, uh, you know, basically dying off and almost passed off the scene completely. So it's, it's not without note that we're seeing the same kind of shift revealed in the Exodus as a flashpoint or a trigger point or, or a beacon to us here at the end time, that the same pattern is now being fulfilled in a much larger extent. And now the attention of the globe, the Egypt of our time, if you will, and that spirit of a new king that doesn't know the Lord is turning its attention to a primarily uh, you know, driven Judeo-Christian ideology uh, that it, it views as a threat. And whether you understand it or not, the forces that are now coming to power are turning their attention toward the church and ultimately toward Israel. We are, we are one and the same. We are brothers and sisters in the Lord. We will be and are made up of both, Jew and Gentile. And so we're going to see and have already begun to see that what this is leading to and why I began by talking about you know, the, the church in America, especially and across the West, being woefully unprepared for what has already begun. The first thing that they did uh, early on this year of 2021 was move to shut down every single platform that moves against the the uh, the culturally woke and politically forward thinking uh, you know sort of thing uh, that that contramands their ideology. In other words, any free expression of any other kind of political thought and 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 cultural as they identify it norm becomes an enemy of the state. So they shut down every platform on what we call the, the, the night of the long digital knives, right? That occurred on January the 8th, 2021, where the, the technocrat oligarchy of the giant big corporations of technology, which has become the norm whereby there has been a free exchange of ideas across the platform of the world, has now been shut down. And all those within the database of those companies are being identified, quantified, filed, and categorized as enemies of the state if they hold any kind of an ideology, primarily Christianity and Judeo-Christian thought. Uh, if they hold any kind of thought like that, they're being labeled as enemies of the state. So we're seeing the same kind of spirit. A new kingdom is arising that knows not. Uh, Jesus Christ, and in their sense, that knows not Joseph, right? So a generation passes, and a paradigm shift occurs, 
uh, people that had found themselves under blessing in our time because of the gospel of Jesus Christ are now identified as enemies of the state. The, the, the parallels are striking, and the prophetic implications are striking. <clears throat> but subsequently, we also know something, which we'll talk about at the end of this, that it triggered the birth of something. It triggered the birth of Moses. But we pick up the story here today in Exodus chapter 3 from the perspective of this. Moses now reaches his full age of 80, and God calls him. And when God calls him, he calls him uh, from the burning bush, right? That's what we've talked about. What was he revealing in the way that he manifests himself to Moses? Because if we understand it, then we're going to understand what is being said to us as well. I believe there's a bush burning right now, if you can receive it. And God is reaching to his people. He's luring us to that revelation of the truth, as he did Moses, just prior to the exodus. The first exodus is now giving way to this ultimate end-time exodus. Mm -hmm. Now, what we see is that Moses turned aside. Let's go over there to chapter 3 again, and we'll, and we'll take a look here in verse 4. Can you read verse 4 again to us, Jeremy? And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here am I. So remember, we were talking about the two manifestations of, of the Lord as it pertains to the bramble bush or the bush that Moses saw, very much as Abraham also saw uh, an event that the Lord drew his attention to also involving a bush a thicket a bramble bush itself it represents the cross of the lord jesus christ but what triggers our understanding in the prophetic time clock if you will is how god revealed himself to moses just prior to the exodus of the people he begins to reveal to him that the time had come and how he does that is through the angel of the lord the flame of the lord and the voice of the lord through the bush but what is this symbolically speaking to us at, at much more deeper levels that we can learn from this? What was he telling Moses just as much as he's telling us now? Number one, what we look at and what we reference was Father Abraham's bush, all right? What did he see there? He saw a ram caught in the bush, Abraham's ram in the bush. That's the bush that Abraham saw. And what that ram represented uh, was the atoning sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. Abraham was going to offer Isaac, but his hand was stayed because no man, you know, <laughs> could actually, <laughs> no no son of Adam, if you will, uh, could actually pay the price. It had to be the son of God. And this was represented by the ram caught in the bush. There would be another one coming. Just as Abraham told Isaac, the Lord will provide for himself a sacrifice. Indeed, he did in the bush. So the first bush and the revelation of the first viewing symbolically of the bush as it's accounted in Genesis, in, in Genesis, it represents Calvary. It represents our sacrifice for sin. But Moses' bush, as we just read in verse 4, it was a bush on fire and not consumed. And what that was really representing on a much deeper level is a foreshadow of the revelation that would come that the coming of the Lord was at hand. Why do we say that? The first bush had a ram in it. The second bush has the Lord uh, Jesus, uh, uh, you know, <clears throat> in his pre-incarnate form, 
and known as the angel of the Lord, the fire representing the spirit and the voice of the Lord representing the father. So that is how he appears to Moses. And it, it is meant to be instructionary to us that, that, that the Exodus is at hand, as it was for Moses, because that's what was going to be revealed to him. The Exodus was at hand. But what is this typology? We see Abraham's bush representing Calvary and a sacrifice for sin. But when he reveals himself to Moses, he reveals himself in, in a flame of fire, which represents what? It's, it's, it's without sin. In other words, there is no sacrifice necessary anymore. This time, it's going to give way to salvation, salvation of the nation, salvation of the people of Almighty God. That's what Paul said. He uses this kind of phraseology when we look in the book of Hebrews. Turn over to Hebrews real quick, Brother German, could you? Hebrews chapter 9. And could you read to us verse 26 through 28 there? Because this is what Paul said concerning the Lord. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Notice the phraseology that Paul's using here, because that's, that's exactly the pattern that we see in the Old Testament. He first appeared as a ram in a bush, which was to put away sin, right? He, it, was a, it was a type of, of the putting away of sin or the offering of a substitutionary sacrifice. In that case, it was represented by Isaac, uh, and, and, and the ram represents the Lord. That's what Paul's talking about there. Christ was once offered. The ram in the bush was once offered <clears throat> to bear the sins of many, so to speak. But then it says this, and, and it really has that same kind of phraseology that, that happened to Moses, that I will turn aside to see this sight. It says the second time that he appears, right, for those who look for him, it will be without sin. There will be no ram in the bush, but it will be to salvation. And that is the pattern that we see in, in, in the bush not consumed that Moses saw. He didn't see a ram in the bush. He sees flame of fire. It's after the fact. Father Abraham already had a ram in the bush. Moses has fire and flame in, in the same bush, but what it's going to speak to him about is salvation is on the way. The kind of salvation, which is the rescue of your people and, and the ultimate culmination of being brought to the mountain of God and the promised land. So this is what Paul is saying. But, but again, we're turning our attention to the act of Moses and, and why it was holy ground. Because he had to remove his shoes that we talked about a little bit yesterday and what that symbolizes, the removing of his shoes as the revelation is coming forth. You cannot come any closer, he's telling him, unless you remove your shoes. Because the place, which is really the place of revelation of the times, the prophetic times, is holy ground. And the removing of your shoes is symbolic of your surrendering the path that you were walking on up to this point in this world and fully surrendering to the plan, the revealed plan, and the prophetic times. Now, this is uniquely tied to several events in the scripture where the same thing happens. 
And each and every time, it is a foreshadow of end-time events. Let's take a look at a couple of these examples. Turn over, would you, Brother Jeremy, to the book of Joshua. I want you to look at Joshua and look what happens to him. Remember, Moses had to take off his shoes as a revelation is going forth of the exodus is about to occur. Do we see this pattern as it portrays end-time events in any other place? Yes, here's one of them. Could you read to us Joshua chapter 5, verse 13 through 15? And it came to pass, when Joshua was by Jericho, that he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, there stood a man over against him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went unto him and said unto him, Art thou for us or for our adversaries? And he said, Nay, but as captain of the host of the Lord am I now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship and said unto him, What saith my Lord unto his servant? And the captain of the Lord's host said unto Joshua, Loose thy shoe from off thy foot, for the place whereon thou standest is holy. And Joshua did so. Amazing. So Joshua has his own burning bush moment in, in, in essence. But what he has here, as we know, the Old Testament is revealing the New Testament. They are prophetic types. What is happening here is that they are about to go into the promised land. It's a foreshadow of the end time. There's a great enemy that stands in the way, Jericho, right? But it's interesting in verse 13, it says Joshua lifts up his eyes and he sees something. He sees a man standing against him with a sword drawn in his hand. And then he reveals who this man is. Joshua sees the same Lord that Moses saw. He's the captain of the host of the Lord. That's Jesus, the Lord of hosts, right? And we know it's the Lord Jesus because of what Joshua does. In verse 14, he falls on his face and worships him. Now, remember in the book of Revelation, when John fell on his face to worship uh, the angel that was revealing to him and bringing the message of the book of Revelation to him, the angel told him not to do it. Right. He, he told him, I'm of your fellow brethren, the prophets, basically. He says, you don't worship me, worship God. So the fact that Joshua is falling on his face here, and he's not told to stand up or not to worship, reveals to us, this is the pre-incarnate Jesus. This is a revelation of Christ. And so we see the same thing happening in how he is commanded by Christ, what he's commanded to do. He says, take off your shoe from your foot. Because the place where you're standing is holy. It's holy ground. And Joshua did so. Again, we have an example of the removing of the shoes connected to end-time prophetic events. And in this sense, what is that event? Jericho is about to come down, and the children of Israel are about to go into the promised land. Jericho being an impregnable fortress, a type of antichrist system, if you will, and them about to defeat it. It's about to be judged. And they're about to enter the promised land. So again, my point for sharing these things is that we have the removing of the shoes. And it represents, again, the surrendering to the full will of God. And that the holy place of God is always connected to prophecy fulfilled, prophecy concealed, 
and prophecy revealed, the times. And so the removing of the shoe is just that. It's the removing of, of what we have known, where we have walked at specific moments in time. It speaks of deeper fellowship with God and a surrender to that will. And it always is accompanied by a fuller revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ and the will of the Father. And this is what we see. There's a worship component. Even Moses himself would turn his face away. He was afraid to look at God. Joshua falls on his face to the earth. This is holy ground. That revelation is coming upon you and me, brothers and sisters. They're about to enter the promised land. And again, the removing of the shoe or the full surrender to the prophetic event that lies ahead is holy ground. That's what we're being told right now in our time. Brother Jeremy, I want you to turn over to 2 Samuel, would you, as we see another event. 2 Samuel chapter 15. Second Samuel 15. Uh, first, let me set the scene here. What this, what we're going to see here, is a foreshadow of the end time again, where we will also see there are no shoes involved. <laughs> now, in Second Samuel 15, and Brother Jeremy, I want you to read verse 13. What we are seeing in verse 13 is is the account of the betrayal of King David and the taking over of the kingdom by Absalom. Absalom is a foreshadow of that wicked one. He's the one that Israel and the world receives in the end. He's a deceiver. He represents the Antichrist. It's a foreshadow of the end time. Can you read that, verse 13? Yes. And there came a messenger to David, saying, The hearts of the men of Israel are after Absalom. And so what ended up happening, if you know your Bible, is Absalom takes over the kingdom. He's received as a king. That's precisely what Jesus would prophesy later in his earthly ministry. When he told Israel, I've come to you in my father's name, and you don't receive me. He says, there's coming another one. He was speaking of the Antichrist. That's the one you're going to receive. So we see that prophetic insight here in 2 Samuel 15, 13, when Absalom finally takes the kingdom and King David has to leave. But then as, as the account uh, goes f forward, we see King David begins to, re to, to actually walk the path that the Lord is going to walk on the night that Judas betrays him, just as much as the night that Absalom, a type of the Antichrist, Judas, a type of the Antichrist, Absalom betrays David, Judas betrays the Lord, and the Lord has to leave. And the Bible will tell you, if you go look at it, when the Lord left, he crossed over the river Kidron as he headed to Gethsemane. David did the same thing. When the Antichrist Absalom of his day came, David had to flee with his people. And in verse 23, could you read verse 23? He crosses Kidron just as the Lord did years later. Read that to us, would you? And all, the country, and all the country wept with a loud voice, and all the people passed over. The king also himself passed over the brook Kidron, and all the people passed over toward the way of the wilderness. This is, this is uh, you know, hints and foreshadows of the end-time church. You have Antichrist in power, Absalom, and then you have uh, the Lord represented by King David and his people 
having to go into a wilderness experience, a Gethsemane experience. But do we see David without shoes? Indeed, we do. Read verse 30, would you, Brother Jeremy? And David went up by the ascent of Mount Olive and wept as he went up and had his head covered and he went barefoot. And all the people that was with him covered every man his head, and they went up, weeping as they went up. So we see he, he is tracing the path. He's walking the path of the Lord Jesus Christ, who would walk that same path on the night that he was betrayed. Each and every event is an event that foreshadows the end time. We have an Absalom component, right? That's the Antichrist. And Judas, and Judas was, was the Absalom in Jesus this time, so to speak. David goes across the book Kidron. Jesus leads his disciples over the book Kidron uh, in, in, by way of the wilderness. It's very symbolic of the tribulation period. David as well, very interestingly so, the Bible tells us in verse 30, takes this holy walk toward where? Olivet. And what's on Olivet? Gethsemane. He's walking prophetic holy ground in advance of the ultimate fulfillment that will take place in our time, but also took place in the time of the Lord Jesus Christ. David is a type of Christ. But he walks barefoot. He has his shoes removed as well. It is a foreshadow of prophetic times. The Gethsemane we've been preaching to you about that we believe we entered as we were closing out 2020 and entered into the very first week of 2021 we're being led through this moment and we went at length we encourage you to go back and listen to those podcasts when we dealt with that put up your sword peter uh but here we see again the point is barefoot he's without shoes again fully surrendered to the prophetic will of god for his time but this is a foreshadow of the tribulation period it's understanding the times and the removing of the shoes is very symbolic of where we are being led by the Spirit to remove the things that have encumbered us, the things that we have walked in familiarity with at these prophetic times. And we are living in the ultimate fulfillment of these types and shadows right now. They're just beginning. They're going to begin in earnest. They're already accelerating. They've already started. We've been well underway, really, for the last 80 years, which we'll look at here in a second. But the final thing I want you to look at is what the Lord did. Can you turn over to uh, John chapter 13, Brother Jim? John 13, and yes. would you read to us verse 4 through 8? Yes. He riseth from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Then cometh he to Simon Peter. And Peter said unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do you knowest not now, but thou shalt know thereafter. Peter said unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. So here we see, again, the Lord himself uh, removing uh, the sandals, the, the shoes of his disciples, and he washes their feet, very much the same 
symbolism here, the removing of the shoes, the full surrender to the intimacy with God. It's going to require that. Remember where we started with Moses. God says, you can't come any further. You stop right there. You're standing on holy ground. The next thing you're going to need to do is to remove your shoes. We see that in Joshua, getting ready to go into the promised land, a type of us finally uh, seeing the victory over wickedness and inheriting the promises of God. Joshua falls on his feet, on his face and worships the Lord and then uh, removes his shoes from his feet because that's holy ground. King David, when he's betrayed by Absalom, a type of the Antichrist, leads his people uh, by the way of the wilderness, crossing the same place. Uh, that Jesus would years later cross, leading his disciples. He goes to Olivet. Jesus uh, will take his disciples to Olivet on that night that Judas, a type of the Antichrist, betrays him. David goes forth barefooted. Jesus removes the shoes from his disciples and washes their feet just prior to them taking that journey with him to Gethsemane. This is full surrender. This is holy ground. This is the holy ground of Gethsemane that they're headed to. It's a foreshadow of where we are now. God is dealing with people. And what we have to understand is that prophetic times necessitate that we go all the way with God. There are no in-between. Where he will lead us to is the removing of our shoes. It is a holy moment. It is the full surrender to the time. Remember what he told Peter, if you don't have your feet washed, in other words, have me remove your shoes and wash these feet from the dust of this world. You cannot have any part with me. You will not have part with me. I'm leading you somewhere. I'm leading you to a garden. I'm leading you to Calvary. But I'm also leading you to that great resurrection morning, right? That is where we are headed. That is where we are now. That is what is beginning. And all of it is alerting us to the fact that we have entered the final time, the final days. And with those times, some preparation. You cannot stand under the heat of the scrutiny that is beginning if you haven't removed your shoes, man. And, and, and listen, that makes a lot of people uncomfortable. It makes people squirm in their seat. It troubles their spirit. But you see, it is God who initiates the command, just as he did with Moses. Let's return to Exodus again, Brother Jeremy, chapter uh, 3. And let's look at this a little bit more closely as we continue to go forward in our study today. I hope you can hear what I'm saying. I just wanted to add, that's, that's an incredible revelation there um, that we're seeing yes. unfold concerning the... Uh, removing of the sandals and, and the feet in particular, nothing was done or said in scripture concerning the removing of, of, of your sandals and, 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 you know, the feet where Jesus washes his feet, the, his disciples' feet, what, what yeah. all that represents going down through David, walking in the Mount of Olives, you know, barefooted, you know, it's so powerful, <laughs> that revelation, that connection that you're making. Um, it, it's all speaking of a future uh, Gethsemane experience and affliction uh, that's coming toward, towards God's people that we cannot yeah. we cannot run away from. It's it's yeah. really it's where we're going to be purified. It's what we must go through 
Um, yeah. So I, I think it's it's powerful uh, what, what Scripture is telling us. Praise God. Yes. Another thing, too, when you read in John, and, and you gave incredible examples in the Word of God, Brother Marty, but in John, when Jesus washes their feet, it was... It was, you know, you and we spoke about it uh, a podcast ago, a few weeks ago. It was a necessary component in preparation for Gethsemane. Yeah. Right. And, and, I, and, that's, and, and that's what I hear, the Spirit of God uh, harking uh, on to our, to our spirits, that the hour has come of Gethsemane, but he, God is preparing us. He's saying, take off your shoes. Take them off. Will you stand on holy ground? It's a necessary component to continue on this journey that we have just ahead of us. Praise the Lord. Praise God. I, I sense his presence, Brother Jeremy, when you were speaking. That is exactly what he said. It, it, it's, it's a holy thing, you know. Uh, it is what is required. It's the furnace of affliction. It's Daniel's lion's den, right? It, it's David's betrayal. It's the Lord's betrayal. It's it's the disciples in the garden. It's Moses having revealed to him um, that God is going to deliver his people. All of those examples we gave are examples of in-time reality. Everything will culminate in our time. They're repeating themselves. It's the cycle of biblical prophecy, the testimony of Jesus. All of it is so fascinating to me because um, it has sacrifice. It has surrender. I mean, terms that we're talking about right now that are so foreign, so far out in left field to most in the compromised church of our time. We have a church right now that is absolutely scattered, deceived in many camps with false prophets, false preachers at the national level, at the global level. You're having ministers positioning themselves and aligning themselves with the state. They are the Absaloms. They are the Judases of our time. They will do anything to survive. We're not, we're not addressing them, but we are addressing those beginning with ourselves out there that are beginning to have this sense of foreboding, a diminishing, if you can receive what I'm about to tell you, an understanding and a reflection and a realization, the sun is setting. The shadows are growing long. And if you've spent any kind of time with the Lord, there is a foreboding, a sense in your spirit that these are not normal times. Something quite profoundly different is happening. Understand, dear church, this is not just a new political moment in history we're experiencing here, what we're undergoing. These are indeed prophetic times. These are the days of sorrows, the beginning of sorrows, the tribulation, and just ahead the great tribulation that the Bible has always told us was coming. We must remove our shoes. It's an act. It's symbolic. These are holy times. And we have, if you can receive it, entered onto holy ground. Understand holy ground is when scripture is fulfilled. And there's always trials. 
there's always scrutiny. Jesus had to inter- intercede and pray for Peter himself, the one who didn't want his feet washed, remember? He was the one boasting of the fact that if everybody forsakes you, Lord, I won't. And Jesus says, you know what? You are going to. And he says, but I've prayed for you. We have a great high priest that's interceding for us. Some of us will go through some things. Some of us will 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 have the, the times themselves are going to expose what you really are or what you're not. And so Jesus does this incredible act of love, but also symbolically for his disciples, removing their shoes. He's doing what he's always seen done in the time of prophetic fulfillment of 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 the most incredible nature, the fullness of time. The shoes have to be removed. Again, the symbolism. It's the dirt of the world, man. It's all the things, like Paul described it, the sins which so easily beset you. Lay them aside, he says. And then he goes on to use Christ as an example and says, you haven't striven or, or, or resisted sin unto blood like Jesus did. He resisted it all the way to Calvary, but the victory was won in Gethsemane. And he's trying to show us in this most holy and symbolic moment from Moses to Joshua to David to his own disciples that the removing of the shoe and the cleansing of the feet, it is the holy ground itself that purifies the feet. Jesus himself purified their feet. David walked on the holy ground that the Lord himself would traverse years later and went to the very same place. I believe he was experiencing in advance yes. the actual event. Yeah. yeah. Yes. So how does that take form? How does it take form for, for you and for me? Well, it, it's different, and all will have a different reaction to it. Peter recoiled at the thought. I mean, he, how could he possibly understand? We're not trying to be heavy on Peter, but he does represent a component of all our lives. There's so much involved there. See, the intimate, most the most intimate part of us, you know, uh, in many ways, uh, is the feet. You know, I'm not one that's gonna like want to stick my feet in your face, right? I mean, it's not. <laughs> I mean, these guys walked around uh, and covered with the dust of of the roads they walked. Very symbolic of the world. And, and and it's a necessary thing to go through where we're, what we're headed towards, to go through uh, what is being revealed. If it wasn't important, God wouldn't have put it in his word. And what he's trying to tell us is you're entering holy ground. The times themselves are holy ground. That's what he was telling Moses. That's what he was telling Joshua. That's what he was having David do, and that's what he did to his disciples. Each and every one of those examples are foreshadows of a greater truth that will be made manifest in our time. We, too, are going to be led by the Lord into a wilderness. It's a sad time. The Absalom of our times are coming. The disciples are being led to a Gethsemane because the Judas of their times had betrayed the Lord. But but it's headed to a moment of deliverance seen by Moses. That That's the conclusion of the matter and the ultimate inheriting of the promised land. That's Joshua, you know, but all of those events and entering into those events required the removing of the shoes. Very symbolic of where we've walked. I want to tell you something. 
what you've known to this point is about to be radically altered. What I've known to this point has already been radically altered, but it's increasing. It began with me several years ago now. I'm well into it now. I can't turn back. I've burned every bridge, brother, sister. I, 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 there was a moment in my life a few years ago where I just had to burn every bridge, and I did. If that requires you deleting people from the phone, you know, the, you know, getting rid of certain apps, you know, don't watch certain things on the TV, whatever the Lord tells you, man. Breaking off relationships. I mean, it can take multiple forms. But by and large, drawing closer to God uh, will not be allowed to be permitted until we do those things. But if we do, then greater things are revealed. In Jesus's case, he washes their feet. And then from chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, go ahead and read all them red letters in there. Revelation was given to them of an extraordinary nature. I go to my father's house. I'm going to, you know, make many mansions for you. He was talking about our heavenly bodies. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. Let not your heart be troubled. You know, if it were not so, I would have told you. But I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you might. I mean, he's revealing heavy stuff to them, but not until he removed their shoes and washed their feet. Same with Moses. He saw and witnessed the, the way that the Lord, did, you know, broke into his situation there, right? When he's on the backside of the desert with the flock. But it's not until he turned aside to see and ask why the bush wasn't consumed that God called to him. But once he heard the voice of God, God stopped him and said, you can't come past this. I can't reveal everything I'm about to reveal to you in verse 6 and beyond, right, which is basically the unfolding of the, of, of the revelation that the exodus is at hand and is going to culminate with you standing at this very mountain that you're standing at right now because God himself is coming down. Hallelujah. But none of that was revealed to Moses until God said, what you're about to hear requires the removing of your feet, of your shoes as you're standing on holy ground. In Joshua's case, he's surveying the land. How are we going to take this big Jericho, right? Well, he realizes he has a revelation of Jesus just like Moses did. He sees the Lord, the captain of the Lord's host, and, and, he, and he worships him. And he tells him, take off your shoes. Again, very symbolic. It's the removing of the world. It's the removing of the path that we've trodden to this point. It is the heat and the examination and the declaration and the command of the Spirit to do so. It is necessary. And it is glorious. It's the death, it's the death of one's will to the will of God. It's, it's the surrendering of, of, of all the temporary aspirations, ambitions, and whatever adjective you want to use, and wrapping yourself around the full revelation of what really matters in the times that we're living in. All of that is seen. So let's consider now what we learn from the Lord, right? How he spoke to Moses, man of God. Were you going to say something, Brother Jeremy? Yeah, you know, uh, Paul would warn the Corinthians as he was talking about that day when Jesus was to be uh, uh, betrayed. He would tell the Corinthians in chapter 10 and verse 21 that you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. You cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and of the table of devils. 
And I think and, and what he's saying is he's reminding them of the moment we made the decision to follow Christ Jesus, what we signed up for. We cannot have it both ways. Either we're going to take off our shoes or we're not. Mm-hmm. We cannot be in between. And, uh, and and that's something that he was warning, you know, and again, is reminding the people what we signed up for when we gave our lives to, to Jesus Christ. You know, it's it's a covenant that as he did, as he bore, as his body was broken, as he shed his blood, we must die to ourselves too. And, and I think that's uh, something to be reminded of the commitment that we made to him and the responsibility that comes when you decide to drink of that cup. Right. <laughs> and really, are there options? You know what I mean? I mean, right. it, we, we present it as an option, but it's not. You know, I mean, if you want to survive, right? I mean, what this is all about, brothers and sisters, is the birthing of a new expression of our Father God. It is what he's always intended to do. What is being played out and has been, uh, you know, active and in motion has its origins in the dateless past. You can't define it by time. Uh, you know, we could call, what do you call it? Trillions of years? Quadrillions of years? Who knows? As we understand motion and space and time. But the, the, what we are witnessing is something that has been being worked out from the counsels of God before the foundation of the world. He works all things according to uh, his own counsel, as it pleases him. He is the Lord God Almighty, and and he has revealed himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And through his scriptures, he is telling us, he is revealing to us, that we are in the midst of an unfolding creative act that has manifested itself in multiple ways throughout the eons and epochs of the ages. And, and we are coming to the end of that now. It's going to culminate with what Peter called the eighth day. It is the time when all the material universe itself and the dimensions that exist, because he said there will be new heavens, plural, and a new earth. That is where we're headed. And everything that we have, Paul describes, suffered in this momentary light of affliction is not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us through Christ Jesus, our Lord. It is an incredible act of love that he has allowed us to be formed and shaped upon the planet Earth in order to protect us, in order to conceal what his ultimate desire and design for his children really were. It is something that the princes of this world didn't understand. That's what Paul would reveal to us, right? Had the princes of this world known, they never would have crucified the Lord of glory. It sealed their fate. Every generation throughout history of the church has gone through times and testings. The very few uh, that really experienced moments of, of peace and prosperity, it was few and far between and only lasted several years. But really, uh, for the most part, the history of the church has been one of trial, of testing, of victory, of persecution, of blessing, all of it. But it's headed somewhere. And with each successive prophetic moment, there comes Moments that are leading to the ultimate, what the Bible calls fullness of time. 
in Moses's case, it was the Exodus, the burning bush. The fullness of time had arrived. In Joshua's case, it was going into the promised land. The fullness of time had arrived. In David's case, it was going to be the destruction of Absalom and the regathering of the entire kingdom under his control. Again, the fullness of time had come, things he had to suffer in order to gain what he was going to gain. And then, of course, the fullness of time, we're told, Jesus came and, and paid the price. And now we're entering into the conclusion of time. Now, that statement right there is very difficult for you if, you, if you're not in the spirit of the Lord. But it's okay. Take off your shoes, and you'll hear clearly, which is what we're attempting to do, to hear better, to hear more clear. I got a lot of shoes I need to take off, let me tell you. I mean, <laughs> uh, like we were talking about yesterday, I'm not just talking about the easy ones to take off, right? Those slippers we like to wear, those slip-on things, right? I'm talking about those shoes that we put on that we tie with double and triple knots, right? Those are the hard ones to get off. Those are the ones we don't want to get off. But we need to. And I think it is God's grace, just as it was in Moses' day. Don't come closer. Because you need to remove something in order to come closer. You've entered a holy time. You're standing on holy ground. And I'm making that known to you now. And after you take off your shoes, I'm going to reveal to you some extraordinary things. Chiefly, the time that you're living in. Those who are doing that right now, are beginning to hear the voice of the Lord. He's beginning to call to you. He's beginning to reach into your heart, into your mind, in, in, into your very innermost being that David called the hidden part. He's revealing everything. When we get to the conclusion of the book of Revelation, what's revealed there is what? The bride has made herself ready. That's what the Bible says. The bride makes herself ready. That's what's happening. We're, you know, the Holy Spirit is preparing us. The trimming of the lamps is taking place. What does that represent? The ten virgins. Remember that story we told months ago out of the parable of the podcast we did? <laughs> One of the things that's revealed there is at midnight, a cry is heard. Behold, uh, the bridegroom cometh. Go out to meet him. And what they needed to do was to make sure that they had sufficient oil to fill the lamp, a type of the word, and they had to trim the wick, right? That, that's where the flame burns. The trimming of the wick is the removing of, of, of anything that is corrosive or ash-like that prevents the flame from burning bright. Well, to me, that is always represented in time doctrine. It's always represented that to me, that, that there would be corrosive elements that would dim the light if you did not trim it away from your understanding. The virgins are called at the midnight hour. And, and that is what's happening right now. His church is being called, and there are those that are going to wake up and realize, I don't have sufficient oil to light my path. And this is where we're going to have to be really careful, because they'll seek to join themselves to you. But all they are is a drain on your supply, and if you're not careful, just like the wise virgin said, what you'll end up having happen is not have enough for yourself, your family, your loved ones, the community of your fellowship. It'll all be drained by the compromised who weren't wise and astute enough to cultivate and to gather and to uh, amass a supply of oil precisely when they need it the most. This is what we see happening. All of this is symbolic. All of it is instructionary, especially when we enter that holy ground. 
which is the time of prophetic fulfillment. That is what we see here. Now consider now what we learned from the Lord as we close today, how he spoke to Moses, the man of God. What did the Lord reveal? Because if you see it, what he begins to reveal to Moses is the gospel in an incredible way. And and that's the same thing that's going to happen to us right now before the exodus. The full understanding. Remember what Daniel was told by Angel Gabriel. You close the book, seal it up, because it will not be understood until the end time or the time of the end when travel and education will be vastly increased. That's our times. But he said there was going to be a purification process, right? Daniel chapter 12, verse 10. Read that real quick, Brother Jeremy. We'll come back to verse 3 here and close out chapter 3 of me. Daniel 12. And many shall be purified and made white and tried, but the wicked shall do wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. There you go. So what is happening, this is the midnight hour in Daniel, right? I mean, there, there's a separation taking place, but, but it's through purification. That's what the removing of the shoes is. It's a purifying. It's a trying. It's becoming a, 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 a living sacrifice. But what happens in that purification process, what Brother Jeremy just read there and what was revealed to Daniel and what Daniel wrote, was that the purification process itself is the very thing that brings the understanding, right? None of the wicked will understand why. Because they're not going through the purifying. They don't want to. They don't want to take off the shoes, so to speak. They don't want to experience that that. Holy Spirit surgery, that cutting away of the wick, right? That that removing of the ash, all that stuff we could talk about. But what we see in prophetic times, as the angel identified it there, the end time, is that if you go through that process, which is already beginning, and has and many of us are on different, you know, levels of it, but I mean, it's beginning, it's begun. It's not coming. It's it's been here for a while, really, but but in earnest it began in twenty twenty. I mean, for for lack of a better, you know, defining point, I can say, okay, let's just go back to 2020 and say, what in the world did we just go through? And why are we so intensely? Have you noticed there hasn't been any alleviating of the absolute outrageous things we witnessed in 2020? It hasn't alleviated. It hasn't lifted. There's no big exhale of a of our breath. You know, wow, glad that's over. No, it's actually gotten more intense. And we're only, what, uh, 14 days into the year. And it's more intense. You've got governments of the world fighting over the world. You've got the stage being cleared for that wicked one. You've got a nation in decline and being overrun by the godless. And you've got a confused bunch of people that call themselves the church being led by a whole bunch of empty suits and and empty-headed preachers, so-called, and prophets that have no answers, no oil, no light. But then there's the others. It triggered something. It caused us to really, I know, because let me tell you something, and I know you've experienced this out there. We had several friends, you know, uh, uh, call us during these times. One in particular I'm thinking about when this all began to happen, when the lockdown happened. And I mean, this is stunning, right? Stunning coming to the United States. All the churches are being shut. You know, people are dying by the hundreds of thousands. You know, this is a real deal here. Then when, you know, everything that was going on, 
and, and this person called and, and was shaken to their core and said, have we entered the end times? Is this it? Looking for answers, right? A believer. And, and this person has never been the same since then. They've actually gone deeper than they've ever been with the Lord. It's, I get choked up talking about it. It's the spirit of the Lord. This person began to remove their shoes. And, 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 and this is what's been happening, right? So here we go. The trial, the purification, the surrendering, the making of white is really is becoming an altar, a, a living sacrifice that is being. It comes with understanding. It's, it's, a, it's a chief component to the unlocking of how God is speaking and what God is saying to us. And, and I gave you, and we gave you several examples so far. So let's go back and see as we close today, what did the Lord reveal to Moses, the man of God? After he removes his shoes, and we've already talked about that, and I could really talk about that for a week or two, really, because there's so many things we could discuss, but we'll leave it, uh, you know, to your own studies. We pray uh, as the Lord speaks to all of us. But when he takes the the shoes from off his feet and, and he's now fully surrendered, verse 6. Can you read verse 6 to us, Brother Jeremy? We'll read 5 and 6. And he said, Draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. Incredible. So there's so much we could talk about there, but I, I want to focus on, on what happened. What was revealed to Moses after he removed his, his shoes? You see, God now begins to unfold something. But how God spoke to him is so incredible to me because he preached the gospel to him at a very deep level. And, and, and it's seen in this way, if you can see it. He, he reveals to him and begins to preach the gospel. He first identifies himself as the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham. Then he says, the God of Isaac. Then he says, the God of Jacob. And, and, and what he's done by speaking to him that way. Now remember, this is how he's now beginning to unfold to him what is about to take place. So he first goes all the way back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in order to reveal to him the fullness of the gospel because that's what's about to take place the culmination of it all we'll see that in a second what he was saying in essence by identifying father abraham who's the father of isaac is he's revealing to him that the father like abraham is like father god who then is the God of Isaac, right? He gives Isaac a type of the Lord Jesus Christ, which results in Isaac's son, Jacob, Israel as we call it, a nation being born. So he's speaking to him at such multiply deep levels here. He's preaching the gospel to him. And what he's revealing, if you can receive it, is just as Abraham would offer Isaac to God, so the father would give his son. But what the result of that would be, would be Israel would be born. 
represented by 12 tribes, a nation. It is a, a veiled reference to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Abraham is a type of the father. Isaac, a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jacob and Israel, his 12 sons, a type of uh, the church built upon the 12 apostles. Paul being the 12th, in my opinion. So this is how he begins to reveal himself. And that the time had now come that he was going to take a nation to himself. The fulfillment of prophecy that was originally given, as Brother Fernando astutely mentioned yesterday, uh, was given to Abraham. That this would indeed happen. And when the prophetic moment came, suddenly we've entered holy ground. And what's being revealed to Moses is the fullness of the gospel First with natural Israel, ultimately, as we view it, for us as well. Remember, what also would happen as a result of this exodus is going to be a deliverance from Pharaoh in Egypt, right? That's what's going to be revealed to him. But subsequently in our time, as we're looking for the second exodus and all that we've already talked about up to this point, it's also going to be our deliverance from the end-time age, from our Egypt, if you will, from the Antichrist, our Pharaoh, from this world, our Egypt, right? That's what's coming. We're going to have a deeper revelation of the meaning of the gospel, man, than we've ever had before. But it's not for the for those who have no oil. It's not for those who aren't willing to trim the lamps. It's not for those who won't take off their shoes. They're not going to know what's going on. The wicked. But the wise will, and they will understand they've entered a holy ground. This is where we're all headed. It's where Moses led Israel, right? Because after this exodus, where does, where does he go? He goes to the mountain of God. Listen to what he tells Moses. Could you read that in chapter 3, verse 11 and 12? I'll skip forward here. Because we're going to go through this in a deeper way, Lord willing. If it's the Lord's will tomorrow, if not, we'll talk about something else. But... But ultimately, what he what he reveals to him is the gospel, and then he tells him this, chapter 3, verse 11 and 12. Can you read that, Brother Jeremy? And Moses said unto God, Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh, and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, Certainly I will be with thee, and this shall be a token unto thee that I have sent thee. When thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt, ye shall serve God upon this mountain. See, that revelation was given to him, but not before he took off his shoes, right? Then the gospel's preached to him. There's many other things he reveals. He starts revealing the promised land. He's saying they're going to, you know, he talks about the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites in verse uh, 8, right? He starts talking to him about that. He starts revealing the tribulation period, right? I've seen the affliction of the people. Their cry has come up to me. It's time for the exodus. There's still a little time ahead here, right? We've got about another year or so in this account right here before they're actually delivered. But the process had begun in abstention, if you will. What God was doing in secret was creating a, a, a Moses, is creating like a Moses type people. Moses going to, to, to the children of Israel and telling them, you know, the time has come, is like what God is doing all over the world right now. He's beginning to stir his people from high and low and everything in between, preacher or no preacher, it don't matter. We all have the ministry of reconciliation, but the point is, is that we're going to begin to have one specific message, a full revelation of the gospel and a declaration that our time is coming. This is being done. God is working right now. I think that's what this whole next year is going to be about. We're going to see some incredible things happen. Trust me. 
but but he's already been dealing with his quote unquote Moses like people, you know. <laughs> uh, I'll just let that settle in. There. So so then, but what he says is is this is going to be a token to you. You know, this is going to be a sign to you. In other words, it's all going to culminate with this, Moses. This is where you're going to end up, at the mountain of God, <laughs> right? He says, you're going to come right back here with all those people. <laughs> you're going to be on my mountain. See, that's where we're headed, church. We're headed to the mountain of God. Paul called it Mount Sion, right? We're headed to the mountain, the heavenly Jerusalem. When this is all said and done, these these times that, that cause all of us to take pause and, and, and maybe be a little bit anxious, right? A little fearful, which is natural, understand it's going to culminate with us being delivered, inheriting our promised land, and coming to the mountain of the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, right? His heavenly Father, our heavenly Father. That's what he was telling them. It's going to end with this. Remember, this is something really interesting. Israel came to Mount Sinai, and the Lord, the Father, came down. All of heaven came down, right? And God called Moses up to the mountain, remember? He's about to call us up. It was on the exact day, brothers and sisters, when they finally were taken and they were brought to Mount Sinai after the great deliverance that took place. They come to the mountain, and on that same exact day, is the same exact day that, that we call today the day of Pentecost. Where the Holy Spirit filled the new Israel, right? The church of Jesus Christ, made up of Jew and Gentile, and his spirit dwelling in the midst of his church. See, Moses fulfilled that foreshadow uh, because... The, the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night came to Israel in the tabernacle, right? And dwelt in the midst of the camp. What was actually being told Moses is I'm in, in a prophetic foreshadow of the end, right? I'm going to fill my church and be right in the middle of them. We are, we're a habitation, right? We're built up a habitation for God house through the spirit. All of this is coming very soon. It began on Pentecost, but the fullness will be when we gather at the foot of the mountain of Almighty God. Jesus is taking us there. I'm going to close with this, and then I'd like to hear your thoughts, brother, as we close out. Um, a signal was sent. If you can receive this, a signal was sent quite possibly to us in the middle of the 20th century. That signal was Israel was regathered into her land in 1948, fulfilling prophecy after 2,000 years of exile, 1948. And the clock of prophecy, and really the end time began then, began to tick. In a sense, if you can see it, brothers and sisters, Moses was born in 1948. Israel came back to her land. Prophecy started. Much as Moses was born in the Exodus, in the Exodus, 80 years would pass until Moses was fully grown and then his mission was revealed. The Lord would reveal to Moses that the Exodus was coming after 80 years. Brothers and sisters, blessed Church of the King and Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ, is it possible? 
that our deliverance, our exodus is at hand. And will it occur in the 80th year from Israel's rebirth? Was it a signal? If you can see it, that our heavenly Moses is on the way, I will tell. I'm not trying to set dates. I'm just saying it's very interesting. But what we do know and what we have been on this journey over the last year really seeing is that the times are at hand. The time is here. It's well underway. And the beginning of our exodus, I think, has begun. The question is, brothers and sisters, are you paying attention? Even so, Lord, return quickly is our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Brother Fernando, Brother Jeremy. Brother Fernando, say something. Then Brother Jeremy closes up. I mean, <laughs> I was just getting ministered to. Um, it's it, the, the, the parallels are so striking to what we're seeing in the book of Exodus. Um Again, these are principles that we we are hammering because ultimately that's what the the fivefold ministry is is there to do to believers is to instruct them and teach them uh, in the ways of the Lord and how to study the Word prophetically, and and that's what we're trying to do and taking you from story to story to story and and showing you how these these principles that we're using, how the Lord declares the end from the beginning and the beginning from the end, that all these things happen unto them, right? And they are written for our admonition to whom the ends of the world are come to. We're taking these principles and showing you through scripture how that we are seeing almost word for word to a T, the things that transpire to uh, the people of God of old are playing out in our day. Yeah. And that's that's what we have been trying to show you. Listen, because if we begin to see Scripture the way the Lord left for us to see it in his word, we are going to begin to see things clearly. But at the same time, many of us are going to be corrected yeah. in how we have viewed the end times. Right? And that, I believe the Lord is doing that. And there's some of us, you know, that are still listening. You're struggling because maybe what we're what the what we believe the Lord is showing us through His Word is not lining up with your theology. <laughs> but again, you said something very key there. You know, the the year came and went, 2020, and you know we're all looking for that fresh start and wanting to <laughs> exhale and and and. But no, things intensified. Yes. They are intensifying as we're going. Why? Good. Mm-hmm. Because they they are going to to make sure this agenda is fulfilled. Yes. And the more this goes along, you better get in line with what the Lord is saying. Lord and not resist it. Mm-hmm. Because if you keep resisting it, you might find your play find yourself in a place where you're not positioned correctly. To survive, to escape some of the things that are coming. It's 
very vital that we begin to really study these things seriously and allow and allow the, the Lord and the Holy Spirit to lead us in the right direction. These are the times that are here. Yes. These are serious matters for serious people. Praise God. Powerful. You know, mm-hmm. go ahead. You were going to say something, Brother Marty? No, I was just thinking, Brother Jeremy, I was just going to say, Brother Jeremy, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I just want to piggy bank out of that last uh, food for thought you gave us, which I thought was amazing because the Lord has spoken to me about that too. Obviously not setting date, but what you said, 1948, a type of Moses being born, right? We know in 2018, uh, seven years had gone by. But there's a a scripture that I want to leave today found in Psalms 90, verse 10, that that I think bears witness in my spirit of what you you mentioned. You know, uh, Moses would say, the days of our years are threescore and ten, speaking of seven years. But then he says, and if by reason of strength, they be fourscore years, that means 80. Yet is their strength, labor, and sorrow, for it is soon cut off. And, and he says, and we fly away. Very interesting. Uh, <laughs> that's good. And, uh, we'll leave it there. We'll leave it there. Cause, uh, yeah. But, um, you know, two years have passed already from 2018. I don't know. I'm just saying, you know, I'm reading the scriptures and, and, mm-hmm. uh, the coming of the Lord, what we can agree on is that it's sooner and it's soon. Amen. It's very Amen. soon. And, and we see all the signs. But uh, yes, as Brother Fernando finished saying, take heed. Take heed and consider the things that are being said. Um, we are entering, you know, 20, and I agree with you, Brother Marty, uh, 2021 is a preparation for <laughs> what uh, God has given us, you know, take off your feet. Take off your shoes, I mean. Take off your shoes. And yeah. um, much to be expected. Um, we've really been, uh, I've been, you know, personally blessed uh, with these. And I know you have too. I know God has been dealing with my, uh, with our hearts, uh, even as you were speaking. And I just, just felt like weeping, you know, as I was examining my heart and, 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 that, and analyzing what God is asking of us. Amen. Yeah. And, you know, as ministers to the people that are hearing, we, we we never ask of you something that God first does not ask of us. Amen. Uh, <laughs> and that's what he's been asking of us. So as we tell you, he's dealing with our hearts. Amen. In the same Amen. manner. We love you with all our hearts. And, and we pray that you join us tomorrow as we continue in our very powerful prophetic study in the book of Exodus. Join us tomorrow, uh, as Lord willing, and I know that God will have something fresh for us. May God bless you. May God keep you. And as always, keep looking up.